I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Failed Critics Triple Bill, our favourite movie, Cops. James, explain your rules for this again. Okay, this, this, compared to some of my usual weeks, this is nice and simple. It's lenient um, by your standards. Yeah, yeah oh yeah, uh, basically, um, your character, and it's not, it's your favourite cops, not your favourite films featuring that cop, uh, that, that would be the interpretation I'd expect. It's that the character has to have been a member of the police force. Um, in any country, but not an intelligence officer, not someone from the FBI or MI6, proper police officer. Um, that's it. There we go. So, who's going to start us off? I reckon Jerry should start us off because he didn't see Dread, so he didn't talk much on the last podcast. And you just can't get off my voice, Steve, eh? <laughs> I know, that droll northern accent is just all I want. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna like record like my voice just saying, I'm gonna read the dictionary or something, just send it to you in an email one day, just to, I don't know how much you know <laughs> that sense. Um, okay, my three. I'll start with the one that I've already sort of mentioned this week. Um, I hinted to the guys about this, um, off air, but uh, my first choice has to be Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard in Blade Runner. Because, well, I bloody love Blade Runner, and I think his character is one of the best sort of ambiguous cop characters, but he's not sort of morally ambiguous in the way that a lot of other cop characters are, because there's something else added in there, because you don't know whether he's a fucking human or not. So, you know, there's an extra element to it. And I thought, you know, out of, when, when I thought of, of cops, when I first thought about it and what came to mind, first one was Dirty Harry, because that's the archetypal cop character. The second one was, was Rick Deckard, so he had to be in there. Um, I won't go into it too much. The, the, the one criticism I have is I think Harrison Ford hams it a bit at parts, especially when he's getting punched or attacked. He, he does go a bit hammy. He has a tendency to do that. But otherwise, he's, he's fantastic as this, and it's a real sort of... The, the fact that he makes Deckard such an individual character when he's already so recognisable from Indiana Jones, from Star Wars, you know, that is a real strength, I think, of the character. Is he recognisably his own character? He's not just Harrison Ford being Harrison Ford. He, it's one of his. It's one of his good, really good acting performances. Actually, you're exactly right because um, I'm. Go, I'm probably going to talk about this kind of dichotomy later on. But there are great actors and there are great film stars, and quite often you, it's rare you get someone being both at the same time. And I do think that Harrison Ford is a great film star. He's a great movie star. He's got a great presence. Um, you want to watch him on screen. It doesn't always translate to fantastic acting performances, and sometimes they're quite different. But I do think you're right. In Blade Runner, 
he does straddle those two roles very well. He is fantastic. Um, moving in a totally different direction chronologically from uh, Futuristic 2019. By the way, we only have seven years for like hover cars and all that shit to get invented. <laughs> <laughs> We're running out of time. Come on, science. Get, get your bloody arse in gear. I'm waiting here. I want a hover car. Um, going completely the other direction, um, my second choice is from the past rather than the future. And that is played by Russell Crowe. I don't know if anybody's guessing this already. Yeah, I got it. Um, <laughs> Bud White from LA Confidential. Yeah. It was the sort of bruiserish, um, conflicted, violent counterpart to Guy Pierce's more calculating career man. So Russell um, Crowe playing Russell Crowe. <laughs> kind of. Um, there was an interesting thing about that, actually. Um, Welcome to Failed Critics Triple Bill, our favourite movie, Cops. James, explain your rules for this again. Okay, this, this, compared to some of my usual weeks, this is nice and simple. This is lenient um, for your standards. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, uh, basically, um, your character. And it's not, it's your favourite cops, not your favourite films featuring that cop. Uh, that, that would be the interpretation I'd expect. It's that the character has to have been a member of the police force. Um, in any country, but not an intelligence officer, not someone from the FBI or MI6, proper police officer. Um, that's it. There we go. So who's going to start us off? I reckon Jerry should start us off because he didn't see Dread, so he didn't talk much on the last podcast. And you just can't get off my voice, Steve, eh? <laughs> I know, that droll northern accent is just all I want. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna like record like my voice just saying, we're gonna read the dictionary or something, just send it to you in an email one day, just to, I don't know how much you know <laughs> that sense. Um, okay, my three. I'll start with the one that I've already sort of mentioned this week. Um, I'm, I hinted to the guys about this, um, off air, but uh, my first choice has to be Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard in Blade Runner. Because, well, I bloody love Blade Runner, and I think his character is one of the best sort of ambiguous cop characters, but he's not sort of morally ambiguous in the way that a lot of other cop characters are, because there's something else added in there, because you don't know whether he's a fucking human or not. So, you know, there's an extra element to it. And I thought, you know, when when I thought of, of cops, when I first thought about it and what came to mind, first one was Dirty Harry, because that's the archetypal cop character. The second one was, was Rick Deckard, so he had to be in there. Um, I won't go into it too much. The, the, the one criticism I have is I think Harrison Ford hams it a bit at, at parts, especially when he's getting punched or attacked. He, he does go a bit hammy. He has a tendency to do that. But otherwise, he's, he's fantastic as this, and it's a real sort of... The, the fact that he makes Deckard such an individual character when he's already so recognisable from Indiana Jones, from Star Wars, you know, that is a real strength, I think, of the character. Is he recognisably his own character? He's not just Harrison Ford being Harrison Ford. He, it's one of his. It's one of his good, really good acting performances. Actually, you're exactly right because um, I'm. Go, I'm probably going to talk about this kind of dichotomy later on. 
that there are great actors and there are great film stars. And quite often, you, it's rare you get someone being both at the same time. And I do think that Harrison Ford is a great film star. He's a great movie star. He's got a great presence. Um, you want to watch him on screen. Doesn't always translate to fantastic acting performances and sometimes they're quite different. But I do think you're right. In Blade Runner, he does straddle those two roles very well. He is fantastic. Um, moving in a totally different direction chronologically from, uh, futuristic 2019. By the way, we only have seven years for like hover cars and all that shit to get in bed. <laughs> <laughs> We're running out of time. Come on, science. Get, get your bloody arse in gear. I'm waiting here. I want a hover car. Um, going completely the other direction. Um, my second choice is from the past rather than the future. And that is played by Russell Crowe. I don't know if anybody's guessing this already. Yeah, I got it. Um, Bud White from LA Confidential. Yeah. It was the sort of bruiserish, um, conflicted, violent counterpart to Guy Pierce's more Catholic career man. So Russell um, Crowe playing Russell Crowe. <laughs> kind of. Um, there was an interesting thing about that actually. Um, in the James Elroy novel, well, sort of story, I don't know whether it's a novel size or what, it's kind of a series. Um, which are really good, by the way, if you ever want to read those. Um, Bud White is is the biggest, sort of biggest, strongest, most massive cop on the entire force, right? So he's, you know, he's an absolute mountain of man. And Russell Crowe realised, you know, Russell Crowe's not even six foot tall. He's he's, he's not, he's not short or anything, but he's not a big bloke. Um, and what he did to prepare for this role, which is just fantastic, is he moved into an apartment that was absolutely tiny and it was so small that he had to duck through the door frames and stuff. Um, and like, he could, just about stand up in it because the roofs were so low and he said that made him feel like a giant by the time he came to shooting and he felt really big and he could do the presence. That's really cool. It's, yeah, it's just does, excellent, isn't it? He does like, he is actually quite method, isn't he? Have I ever told the, um, oh, I must have told the, uh, the gladiator anecdote on here before. Tell it again. I'll tell it again, just, you know, new listeners and everything like that. Apparently, um, when he was filming gladiator, uh, the quote about I am Maximus, uh, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, that quote there. Um, he went over to Ridley Scott and said, this is a load of rubbish. This is, he probably said, this is fucking shit, mate. Um, that's terrible, God. Um, but yeah, basically said, I'm not reading this. Um, and Ridley Scott said, no, no, please go, just give it one go, please. And so he went and did it and the whole crew afterwards applauded and stood up. Um, and Ridley went up to him and said, see, I told you it was, it would, it would work. He went, yeah, only because I'm the best fucking actor in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that inner confidence of the man. Yeah, he's really good in, in LA Confidential. I mean, there's three, there was three cops I could have chosen from LA Confidential. Yeah. I think that's probably my favourite sort of cop movie, actually, when I really thought about it. That's, that's probably my favourite crime, crime kind of film with, with cops it's like that way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you've got Kevin Spacey's character and it's kind of the Guy Pearce and, and Russell Crowe and Kevin Spacey played sort of three different elements of, of policing, really, and, and they all tie in together and they all have different ambitions and different needs and different wants and they end up coming together in a certain way. Um, and, you know, th- that sort of multifaceted aspect to the characters, it's not just each character has a role to play, it's not very simple. Uh, Russell Crowe, for instance... Um, he, he grew up in a very violent, abusive, not, not Russell Crowe, the character Bud White, mm-hmm. I should say. I'm not trying to make claims about Russell, Russell Crowe's upbringing. <laughs> um, he, grew up, you. 
Yeah, and probably come out and shit me. I'll, I'll wake up tomorrow morning and be Russell Crowe knocking on my door. Um, and he grew up in an abusive environment, and so he's really hot on on battering um, people who were involved in domestic violence and stuff. But that's sort of slowly revealed, and it's just the little things. Like he's he's motivated, and he's he's pushed by sort of bigger forces than just being a brutish cop. He's not some kind of caricature. He's a real fully rounded character and the sort of competition between him and Guy Pearce is fantastic. Um, I think that's probably outside of Gladiator. I think that's the best thing Russell Crowe's ever done and I really like him in A Beautiful Mind but he's just fantastic as Bud White. Yeah. I can't argue with that at all. No, I mean, I, I, I must say I could have chosen all three of them in that film. I think all, all three the the main sort of policemen um, Kevin Spacey and um, um, Guy Pearce were fantastic in that film, but, but Russell Crowe's just a little bit better. Um, my third one, similar kind of era, um, is a female cop. Yeah, I went, I went there. Look I at us, there. we're progressive. We are very progressive. Support yeah, I watched, I watched Brave a couple of weeks ago. I'm fucking I'm second wave feminist now, mate. I'm, I'm there. Um, it's Frances McDormand as Margot Gunderson. over. <laughs> regular you listeners talk, will, it's your little section here but yeah well, you well, regular about. listeners will know that I, I tend to pick um, uh, these kind of films you know like both um, for, I chose bowling as a sport and classed it as a sport and made Big Lebowski one of my favourite sports films because you know I just I just love all, all those Fargo is just fantastic though Fargo I think is, is their best film um, it's the best going Brothers movie and really Frances McDormand makes that film. As good as everyone else in that film is, she is fantastic. And I don't remember her doing anything for bloody years after that, actually. What did she do after Fargo? She just sort of disappeared off the face of the earth. James might know. He's probably done more research than me if he's picked yeah, it. Um, yeah, I know she's been in a few other Coen Brothers films. I, you know, she, was in, she was one of the main parts in Burn After Reading. Um, that was the first thing I saw her in for but yes. yeah, she she did a few. She did just a lot of kind of earnest indie type films. Nothing huge, which was odd because Fargo was such a breakout hit for a lot of people involved. That William H Macy suddenly had a load of roles. Steve Buscemi had always been around, but you know it it reflected well on him as well. And and I think the Coen Brothers got to make a few big budget films, which actually weren't very good. Um, but yeah, she never really because she's married to one of the Cohen brothers, isn't she? I can never remember which one. Yeah. Um, one of them. Yeah, <laughs> she was but in yeah. Almost Famous. I, I seem to remember. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, she was. Um, oh. No, you're exactly right. Um, she's. It's unlike any other kind of hero cop in any film ever. Not not only is she female, and usually the female cop in a cop story is a love interest, needs a bit of protecting or something like that. Um, but she's seven months pregnant at the same time. Um, and, and, and you, she's sort of grumpy and cantankerous and she... Yeah, but she's yeah. also kind of nice. And you think, actually, I, I, watching her, you're thinking, oh, I think she'd be a really good mum, actually. I, I quite like her to be my mum. She's really... You, she's sensible, but she puts together quite a complex case. Kind of almost, you know, she's... She's just like, well, she just uses experience as a police officer to put together a very complex, complex case. And you're with her the whole way. And it's, it's, and the accent does it for me as well. The, uh, the, the North Dakota accent 
beautiful. Uh, Fargo is such a lovely shot film. You're right. I, I'm still not sure. I, I'm still torn between Raising Arizona uh, as well, but Fargo is definitely, uh, and Big Lebowski, those three are absolute works of genius. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad someone else picked it, actually, because I was thinking, God, am I going to be the only one who's got a woman on their list? You know, we don't want to, we don't want to be that type of, we don't want to be Top Gear, basically. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, no, she's fantastic in it. Marge Gunderson, yeah, no, great choice, great choice, Jerry. She's she's hilarious as well in that film. I don't think we we made enough yeah. how funny she is in it as well. Yeah, she is. It's a very funny film, despite a lot of the dark elements to it. And she, she's brilliant. And uh, her and William H Macy are the two kind of real pillars of that film, and they both carry that film so well. I think her problem, though, was that she is so iconic in that role. That is a real sort of, particularly in terms of female protagonists and, mm. and female cops, as we say, it's, she was such an iconic role. I think she's really struggled to move past it because it was so her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It seemed so much like her rather than an actress playing a role. It was so fantastic. Yeah. But I think her trouble is she's, she's ended up with um, being kind of remembered as, as the lady from Fargo and not being seen as much else but ah oh god I, I might walk, go and watch Fargo sometime this week it's just fantastic well, that's Jerry's free let's move on to my free so I'm getting a little bit worried that we're going to miss somebody out and I don't like the thought of it at <laughs> all um, I'm going to start off in reverse order and I'm going to oh, start Steve, I should point out before Steve makes his list um, I made my list as three cops who aren't a certain character that Steve is about to name because <laughs> I, would have, I would have chosen him in three different films as my top three cops. Should have made that caveat at the start. So, sorry, Steve, go on. You can, you can have the fun of playing with him. Well, first, honourable mention to um, John Kimball, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger yes. in Kindergarten <laughs> Cop. Just an honourable mention, though, narrowly missed out. The first in my list is a double act. It is DC Andy Cartwright and DS Andy Wainwright from Hot Fuzz, probably the funniest cop movie since the first Police Academy. <laughs> kind of damning with fight phrases. <laughs> oh, come on. There hasn't been many funny cop movies, has there, since the first no, Police I... Academy? No, no, I, yeah, no, I'm just I'm questioning your saying that the first Police Academy is really funny. Actually, well, no, I'm just being harsh there. Oh, I loved it when I was younger. Sod it. Yeah, all right then. I'll let you have that, Steve. <laughs> well, anyway, mainly just because these two, because of a gif that I've seen on many forums of just them two moving off screen and one of them puts their head back into the screen. I'm sure people know which one I mean when I'm talking about it. I don't know if I've seen that, actually, no. I will send you a link to it when I can find it. But they're just, as a double act, they're brilliant, played by Paddy Constantine and um, Rafe Spall, and just so many brilliant uh, lines. Yes, yeah, I know which, which bit you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> but yeah, just so many brilliant lines throughout the whole film. And as a double act, it's just sort of really sarcastic and a bit arrogant and rude. Just work fantastically. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, no, it's good. It, it's interesting. I, that wasn't, I was expecting you to go for someone else from Hot Fuzz. You know, like one of the main characters. So that's, that's a really interesting shout there, Steve. 
Unless you're about to go. <laughs> no, no. That's, that's it from Hot Fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the line where they say everyone, everyone and their mum's packing round there. <laughs> like, like who? Farmers? And who else? Farmers' mums? <laughs> uh, before we get to number one, we've got to go to number two on my list. And number two on my list is Axel Foley from nice. Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, when Eddie Murphy was do still the making good for films. Steve. Go on, Steve. Do the theme tune. I might just play us out with the theme tune of Beverly Hills oh, Cop right this then. week. <laughs> it's played by Eddie Murphy before he'd just done kids' films and generically rubbish kids' films as well, like Norbit, and playing about seven characters in every film. This is just Eddie Murphy at his, his best. Like, funny, but doing some good acting as well. Yeah. Oh, he's he's genuinely... Hilarious in Beverly Hills Cop. Sylvester Stallone was originally meant well. to play Axel Foley. So, what was that? Sylvester Stallone was originally meant to play Axel Foley. Oh my god! Sylvester yeah. Stallone. And you couldn't imagine that now after seeing Beverly Hills Cop. Oh my god! Although I kind of want to see. <laughs> <laughs> he could not be as funny as Eddie Murphy was in it, or as I know, but just energetic and charismatic and. Did he improvise, like, the entire film, then, if they originally wanted Stallone to do it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but it's just, a, it's just a fun action film, and he's brilliant in it. And why, yes. why, why can't he yeah. go back to making more films like that? Because he got old and fat and rich and... Oh, Sold out. Yeah. It's, it's one of the funniest action films ever, actually. If you think about it, I'm trying to think of a film that's funnier than it. It's also a sort of action cop film. Um, possibly, uh, I, th- I think Lethal Weapon gives it a run for its money, but, uh, yeah, but no, it's brilliant. Beverly Hills Cop. Again, um, Laura Diminishing Returns as it went on, but that first film was genuinely fantastic. And finally, number one in my list of movie cops. In the first two films, he's not even on duty when it happens to him. <laughs> Yippee Kaye, motherfucker! It's John McClane <laughs> of Die Hard fame. You can't have a list without him. Yeah, no. I also was—he was the first name on my list. And I, as soon as I knew Steve was going to have him, I thought, right, I'll cheat and make room for other cops. How can how can you drop John McClane from best him. film cop? How can anyone I leave him say, out? How can you, you, you would have had him in? Die Hard, Die Hard 2, and then Die Hard with a Vengeance. He would have been all three. It's not fair. How could, any, how could anyone not even consider him, Owen? Because there was yeah, at least yeah. three better cops. <laughs> there's, there's, there's none. <laughs> there's no better film cop. He is, he is perfect. He's brilliant. He's got every single film you could, thing you could want from a film cop. And like I said, he's not even, he's not even, I will concede he is brilliant in it. And it's a good film. He's not even on duty in Die Hard One and Die Hard Two. <laughs> he's off duty. He's just trying to get home and see his kids for Christmas. It's just beautiful. Mm. <laughs> it's it's a classic Christmas story. The first two films. Yeah. Just a man trying to get home and see his kids. He's he's brilliant with a gun. He kicks ass. He takes names. He delivers brilliant one-liners. He can take a beat in. Yeah, that's it. There, there is a vulnerable side to him as well, which is really important. The fact that, you know, by, by the end of Die Hard, he's, he can barely walk. He's covered in blood. Um, 
yeah, no, uh, that is re- I think the vulnerability to him is key. Uh, and then you've got things like his divorce and stuff like that. He's a very vulnerable, troubled person. Again, it's, it's, it's very important. It's a simple plot to, you know, the first two Die Hard films at least, which we spoke about in the last podcast about Dread. You know, just keep it simple. There's some terrorists. They're trying to take over the place where John McClane is. And because he's a cop and he doesn't like these things happening, he goes and sorts it out. Simple. Yeah, yeah but, he, you know, he's... Uh, and Bruce Willis is one of the best um, at that kind of character. He just that looks hard, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he might not be as he, he might he's got not great comic time. But he might as not well, he might not really be as important. he might not be as built as someone like Arnie or Stallone. But he just looks hard. Yeah, but you, and again, you get that a bit more of that believability and a bit mm. more of that vulnerability. He isn't built like but, Arnie and uh, Stallone and Dolph and people like that. He does look like someone who could be a cop. Uh, and like someone if he had a fight in a pub, he would takes so much punishment that he will batter everyone. Yeah. Didn't, He's one of them. He just speaking, looks speaking of his comic timing, didn't he start out in a sitcom? Yeah, Moonlighting. Which I've never yeah. seen any of. But. Um, re- it's really meta, actually. Moonlighting's a... It's, it's really good. It's a really good, well-written uh, thing. It's not like a kind of cheesy thing at all. They break the fourth wall and stuff like that. Very it, interesting I think the only, um, comedy. I think the only thing I've seen of Moonlighting is a clip of a Christmas episode where every cliche from Christmas episodes of TV programs yeah, sort of happens to them. but that's what it was like a lot. Not as much as that, but it was like that a lot during the whole thing. It was very, very self-aware. Um, it was quite ahead of its time in a way. Um, really, really interesting. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, I love Bruce. I, I genuinely love Bruce. He, he can act as well as just being sort of an yeah. action hero. He can act pretty well as well, but he's in Die Hard, you know, Die Hard's one of those films that, you know, there's a certain amount of films that no matter how sort of good they are as a film, if it's on telly, you'll just watch it. Yeah. Die Hard's yeah. one of those films. Yeah. All the Die Hard's. If it's on and telly, again, I'll watch it. It goes back to that thing I was saying earlier about how some people are great actors and some people are great movie stars. Bruce Willis is an absolutely brilliant movie star. Do you know who was offered this before he got it as well, by the way? I've heard it, but I've forgotten it. What well, it? What? it was originally, because um, it's set up sort of kind of a remake of a thing that Sinatra did in the 70s. Sinatra got offered it, even though he was 73. Oh, my because God. Because they <laughs> contractually had to offer it. Arnie said no. Then Sly said no. Then Burt Reynolds got offered the part. What? I said then, no. Yeah. Then Richard Gere got offered, went no. Then Harrison Ford... Right? You think, oh, surely they're going to win that. No, then they gave Mel fucking Gibson an offer. <laughs> right? And then Bruce Willis got offered it. And you think how iconic he is as John McClane. Imagine just if any of the people did it. It would be awful. Apparently, it just goes to show how serendipity can work. Oh, it's fantastic. I didn't realise as well that Die Hard 1 and 2 were both based on novels. Mm. Yeah. Um, I I did that when we did our triple bill of film adaptations. I found that out then and thought, I can't add that to my list because I've not read the original. Um, but yeah, that that, that is interesting. Uh, I might have to get around to reading them at some point. So yeah, it was originally. Um, although I'll just end bad. up just watching Die Hard instead. Clearly, 
Do you know this was originally Commando 2? Well, it was going to be Commando 2. Oh. That's why, that's why McTiernan directed it, because he was going to make okay. a sequel to Commando. That's why Arnie got off of it and McTiernan was doing it. And Die Arnie Hard- took it down, then McTiernan read this book and went, that will make that. That sounds better. And Die Hard 3 was meant to be Lethal Weapon 4. Was it? Yeah. yeah. This is blowing my mind, today. Yeah. Just... <laughs> well, Owen, as your mind is blown and you think you can name three better movie cops than John McClane, go for it. Right. And, and we'll all tell you, and we'll all tell you where you're wrong. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'll try. Um, the first one's probably not in the same kind of vein as, uh, McClane, but it's, um, a bit more serious. Sidney Poitier in, um, in the heat of the night as Virgil Tibbs. Wrong. Or, um, Mr. Tibbs, as he likes to be called. Uh, it's, basically, if you've not seen In the Heat of the Night, he, Mr. Tibbs is a um, detective. He works for the Philadelphia Police Department. He's stuck in Mississippi, and he's picked up by the local police, who are a little bit racist, um, and they accuse him of murdering a wealthy local guy just because he's black, because he's African-American. That means he's automatically guilty. So they arrest him, and then it's, you know, kind of comes out that he's actually a policeman and he works for the homicide department and he's, you know, brilliant at his job. So he ends up being involved in trying to solve the case. But it's absolutely brilliant performance from Poitier. He's excellent in this film. And he gives a really sort of stern performance with actually having to do a lot. Um, you know, he can seemingly get away with doing things and performance-wise, you know, he's, he says a lot without having to open his mouth kind of thing, you know what I mean? His expressions, and uh, particularly there's a scene quite early on in the film where he's sitting in his cell and he's just kind of staring, but there's this other guy in there who's talking to him. And it's just such a tense scene, and he is so intense himself that when he just kind of clicks his fingers, it, it makes you jump. It makes the character jump on screen, but you kind of, whoa, what was that? That's You know, it's very, very brilliant performance from him. But the character itself is great. And I mean, kind of as you'd expect from the premise of the film, the level of the racism in the film is it's quite uncomfortable to watch. Um, mm. not, not because it's particularly violent, because, it, you know, it's not, it's not that kind of film. But because of the kind of brashness of it, and it's, you know, obviously the point is to help you sympathise or empathise with um, Poitier's character. And you admire the way that he deals with it, with this kind of dignity and his class. And it's, it just, it makes the character endearing and you, you, you just really kind of, you, you want him to not be caught up in this. You want him to, to do really what he's there to do and, uh, solve the crime and stuff. And it just helps that, you know, Mr. Tibbs is actually a really good detective who's a stubborn character and really quite cool. He always wants to do the right thing, but he wants to do it the right way. Um, he doesn't want to be in this situation. Um, with the white police who are a little bit racist, the locals who are also quite racist to, towards him. He just wants to get on with it and do the job because that's, at the heart of it is, it's, it's justice for, for someone who's been murdered and he, he is a really good detective. And it, it's, you know, it, it's a good thriller, a good mystery story, which tackle, tackles quite a sore topic, but it's probably, I can't help feeling that it's as good as it is because of Mr. Tibbs and because of Sidney Poitier playing Mr. Tibbs. Um, it's just a fantastic performance and it, it's just a very cool character. I, I don't know what you guys think, but I think he's one of my favourite detectives and one of my favourite cops in films. I've not seen him. I've not seen this film, but I can tell you he's not as good as McLean. 
<laughs> Did you walk around barefoot at any point? Oh, no, I don't think so. Through glass. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very different kind of film. Um, I think it was actually turned into a kind of franchise film as well. So he, I don't know what happened later on. I've only seen In the Heat of the Night, but that's a very good film. I definitely recommend it because it's just a, it's a serious film, but it's also a very, um, it's just really good drama to it. Um, I can't really recommend it enough. It's just great. And the, the whole sort of aura around it is, is fantastic. Okay, so maybe my second choice can um, help change your mind. So I have actually picked some good good cops then. Okay, my second choice is uh, someone who I can't believe hasn't been mentioned already. Uh, it's Robocop. We were talking about 80s films um, earlier. Who who could we leave out Robocop? It's it's a good choice, but it's not John McClane. You're still wrong. Still wrong. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But Robocop, I think, is is brilliant. Not not necessarily because he's a robot who has a big gun and shoots bad guys and stuff. It's the whole film and what Robocop himself represents that is is brilliant. Um, You know, he's... He basically is the embodiment of the 80s. He satirizes the 80s and this commercialism and this soullessness, um, you know, by being a robot himself. But at the same time, it's also, you know, whilst taking the, the mickey out of the excesses of the 80s and stuff, it, it, it kind of encapsulates all that and it's a really good 80s action film, a really good sci-fi film that could only have been made in the 80s. So I'm a, I'm a little bit confused about what they're going to do with this planned remake they've got going. But, um, you know, it kind of, it pokes fun at everything that it's it's involved with, whilst also being really clever. You know, it mm. it, it might not be um, a subtle satire uh, of its time and its face, but it, it, that, it, it's, it's definitely a satire of the 80s. And yeah. part of that is part, partly because of Robocop, the character, you know, He's, as I say, he's soulless, but he's actually a redeemed character. He's gone through this, you know, he's a very honest person, but he's gone through this terrible ordeal and come out of it the other, se- other side as, you know, famous in a way. But at the same time, he, he you know, he's, he's lost his humanity. And through the course of the film, although he's, you know, very violently at times kind of dismantled or attacked and stuff, he comes through the film to be he gains some humanity through it all and he shows that, you know, you might be able to sort of take the, the humanity out of somebody but the, it will always come back and it's it's what he's about. And, but at the same time, it's a great action film. It's just this, these fantastic scenes in it. I think everyone's got a memory that from a Robocop film, any in the series or whether you watch the shitty TV series that was, that was made. <laughs> You've got a memory of it. Some people, it's, you know, the rocket launcher bit. Uh, some people say it's, you know, when he's actually dismantled. You know, even in Robocop 3, whether you like it or not, it's probably the one that most people remember, which is when he puts on the jetpack and flies. That's um, <laughs> bit yeah. of a controversial bit for most Robocop fans. But it's a very smart film. It's very funny. It's very emotional. He's a very good character. Um, and yeah, Robocop is my second choice. And I, like I say, I can't believe he's not been mentioned yet already. I'm surprised nobody, sh- I'm disappointed rather than surprised no one shouted crossover then. I thought we can't have a film, uh, cop film, triple bill, and leave out Robocop. He was um, on my list. It's a good yeah. choice. There's still no John McClane, eh? 
Well, no, it's not. <laughs> he's, he's, he's fine to sit on a list with John McClane. I just can't believe you've got three that push John McClane into at least fourth place. How, how many, how long would the list have to be for you to have picked John McClane? It was probably, uh, when I was trying to draw up a short list, it was about sort of sixth or seventh. Oh my Jesus. god, he first. <laughs> He doesn't like Star Wars. You don't like Star Wars and you don't like John McClane. I, I do oh, like John McClane. He doesn't, was doesn't sound seven. like it. <laughs> well, uh, I've given... My final choice isn't Jackie Chan. I've given him a break this week because he's played about sort of seven yeah. where he's a cop. Um, but I've gone for a film which I've done a little bit of research specifically for this podcast. Oh. Where it's... Um, so yeah, my final choice is from uh, uh, Martin Scorsese film, which is a remake of the Hong Kong cop movie Internal Affairs, which is the film that I watched for the first time. Infernal Affairs. I I used to call it Internal Affairs for right. ages, but then I I, I realised it was called Infernal Affairs, and I didn't know if that was a slip of the tongue or if you'd done the same thing as me. Done the same thing as you. Yeah, because yeah. there's a Richard Gere film called Internal Affairs, which is pretty ropey. <laughs> but yeah, the Hong Kong one is Infernal Affairs, Infernal. which is weird. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's about the Internal Affairs Department, isn't it? Oh uh, no, exactly. <laughs> okay, but anyway, um, but I watched that for the first time on uh, when did I watch? Friday evening, as preparation for this, because my favourite cop is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was Billy Constantine Jr. in The Departed. Um, but I'd never seen Infernal Affairs before, which is, um, so I wanted to just watch that and see if I could compare them and perhaps, you know, might have influenced my opinion or changed my mind or maybe think, well, actually, maybe that character's not as, as well-rounded as I remember. This one's better. But no, actually, you know, without going too much into the ins and outs of the plot of the film, because it's quite intricate and involved and, and quite complex at times, Billy's basically an undercover cop, so he's not really the kind of state on the beat, um, you never see him in uniform or anything like that because before graduating from the training academy in Boston, he's picked up by uh, Martin Sheen, who's the police captain, and Mark Wahlberg, who is a sergeant, I think. And he's asked to be um, this undercover cop and infiltrate Jack Nicholson's gang because he's got family ties to organised crimes. And he stars in the film opposite Matt Damon, who's a member of Jack Nicholson's gang, but has trained to become a policeman. He's now head of the Internal Affairs Department. So it's quite a, you know, involved plot. I'm not going to go too much into that. But what happens um, is you get this incredibly riveting story, uh, and it delves really deep into this character's psychology, you know. It's such a well-thought, just highly detailed character. Um Billy, uh, and I think that's partly because of DiCaprio's um, performance. He just brings this presence to the character. I think it's helped a lot by having Scorsese's direction, um, you know, as preparation for part of Billy's um, uh, building up his, like, credibility to get into the gang. He has to spend some time serving in a prison on this, like, fake assault charge. But that whole section of the film, it, the way it's set out is just utterly fantastic and I think it's probably where I realised that actually I really I did care about this character he's someone who I wanted to watch the film just to see what would happen with him uh, you know the, the I think that that scene in the prison um, and that scene in the bar which I, I'm not going to spoil for anyone but they're the, they're the two things that really kind of grip me with this character and I think the bit in the prison the way the camera kind of swoops across the cells and you just see Billy in there 
and he's working out and it's really sort of in, like um Poitier and it's really intense and um I just thought it was it was amazing. I, I absolutely loved it. And I think the way that it kind of differs differs to um Infernal Affairs uh, and why I actually prefer the departed is Ooh. because uh, I know a bit controversial I guess, but I think it's the way that Billy is developed. You know, in, in Infernal Affairs, the character is really strong as well. He is, you know, it's the same kind of thing, but it's played very differently, I think. And it's it's a different kind of strength that that, that they both bring to the film. I think part of the appeal in uh, Infernal Affairs is you instantly know and like this guy. You know, you immediately get what he's about. And it, it helps alter the film. It's carried by a really solid performance. But in The Departed, I think it just spends a little bit more time making you like and understand him. And uh, so I think there's there's more to him to like in The Departed. Um, and as I say, DiCaprio just brings this presence to Billy and it's, you know, all of this background and this high level of detail. You know, it kind of moves him almost off the screen and into your consciousness. There's this, this real person. You can really believe that this guy is going through something like this. Um, so that's why he is, is definitely my favourite cop on film. You know about the Infernal Affairs versus Departed debate? Um, I saw Departed first. I mean, I'm not going to try and claim on some kind of, you know, excellent film buff I'd seen Infernal Affairs and all, but when you watch Infernal Affairs and then you watch The Departed again, did you not find that it just seems like a dumbed-down version of it? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much that is sort of left for you to interpret and sort of read between the lines in Infernal Affairs and Scorsese really just spelled it out like that fucking rat at the end. Oh. <laughs> you weren't a fan of the rat. I mean, I really like The Departed, don't get me wrong, I think it's a good film. But when you compare it to the original, it's like the original film, but for people who are a bit thick and can't work out what's going on. Oh, cheers. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean. <laughs> No, I mean, way, the way he's made it, I'm not saying... I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought for, as a sort of police procedural one, it was quite clever and the twists were good. But I think, you know, moving away from the storyline, I think the way he presents the narrative is just a little bit more dumbed down than the original, that's all. I think there are two, two different ways of, of looking at The Departed. I think you can look at it as a way that it's really... Everything is spelled out for you. You, you can't really leave much to your imagination. Anything that happens in, in the story... You, you are shown. But the other way to look at it, I think, is it's it's just packed with all this detail. You are shown absolutely everything because there is so much to show. And part of that is involved with Billy's character. You know, in Infernal Affairs, like I say, it, it's more about you instantly get the character and you, and you care about him. And in, in, in The Departed, it's more about trying to build so many layers to him. Um, I think it's... It, it, they're both clever in very different ways, though. I, but I do take your point. I just think that The Departed overall is better. I think the cinematography is a lot better in The Departed as well. well your opinion on that is. But some of the, yeah. the, the swooping shots and stuff, I just thought they were, they were brilliant in The Departed. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's probably better filmed. I, I, I think you, you're definitely right there when, when you look at the way that it's filmed. There's as a, as a sort of step up in class, shall we say. But yeah. Yeah, Scott says he's so experienced, he's so good. I think you, you kind of expect that. It just it was a bit tragic. It's like they were like, "Oh, Americans couldn't watch this without needing to know why that happened and needing a bit of an explanation here." It's a bit like the the voiceover on Blade Runner. Do you know what I mean? It's just uh, I didn't, oh, yeah. I didn't feel that way until I'd seen the original though, and I saw the part first, obviously. So I mean, it stands up on its own, but it was just after seeing it, I was just really like, "Oh, actually, 
maybe not. Maybe not as good as I thought. <laughs> no, no, I definitely, um, definitely. Like, I mean, they're both brilliant films. I mean, you could mark them both kind of nine out of ten films, kind of thing. But I don't know, just something there with The Departed. I just, I just got into it a lot more. But it's still not John McClane. No, three reasonable mm. films uh, for Owen. Three reasonable picks, not John McClane, no, but. Never mind, no one's perfect, he doesn't like Star Wars either. Um, <laughs> Just get that in again. Yeah. Make sure everyone knows. So James, before you give us your list to round off this triple bill, um, it's a bit of a shame that the Sweeney's not out and we can't pick Plan B. I know, yeah. Um, or, even or Ben Drews, as we should call it. Yeah. <laughs> Kick Winston, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a real shame. Mm. Um, I'm sure they'd be right up there. I think they would be Dog and Bone. Yeah. Oh, God, that advert already has warned him well. As an honourable mention, I think, on all our lists. Just because <laughs> yes. I'm expecting such a high standard from both of them. Mm. <laughs> I don't think the trailer for the Sweeney looks too bad. Yeah, but the film will be. It could be the case, yeah. The trailer, the trailer looked better than I expected it to, but yeah, I'm still pretty convinced the film's The trailer's still shocking. bad, isn't it? It still looked bad. It didn't look as bad as I was expecting, but it still looked bad. Yeah, I was expecting something worse than, I don't know, Dark Shadows, but... Uh, the original film was on the other day, so I've recorded that. So I am uh, going to watch that and then see if I can get to see the remake. The original TV series, is, uh, I enjoyed it, but it is very much of its time, mm. whereas this is like, no, oh, no, it's going to be so alpha male and horrible. Yeah, Ugh. yeah so do you want my list now? Yes, I suppose we'd best do. Oh, thanks. It's all right. Um, yes. Make so a guess. Uh, yeah, one of them um, is uh, uh, Marge Gunderson from Fargo. So that we've, we've done and dusted there. I'm going to be quite quick here. Um, so, yeah, number three, Marge Gunderson. Number two, uh, now this uh, character and this actor portraying this character won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in 1987. You won't be surprised at that. I actually was. Gene Hackman was rumoured or considered for this role. Uh, but the role eventually went to Sean Connery, who plays Jim Malone in The Untouchables from 1987. Um, the Untouchables, the dramatised story, although based on Elliot Ness's memoirs of a small elite squad who took on Al Capone during Prohibition. And um, Jim Malone is... Irish American, so obviously has a Scottish accent. Um, he is the incorruptible Irish American. He's a veteran cop and he tells Elliot Ness that he needs to recruit from the academy because the police force is rife with Capone's men. Uh, so he gets Andy Garcia and some guy who's an accountant and the four of them take down Al Capone. Uh, it spawned great lines. Uh, they pull a knife, you pull a gun, they send one of yours to the hospital, you send one of theirs to the morgue, that's the Chicago way. That's, yes. I think that's <laughs> called escalation, though, actually, Sean, and uh, that's why police on our streets don't tend to carry guns, but never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, but again, and this was what I've been talking about, about film star versus great actor. Um, Sean Connery is not a great actor. He, he can act, but he is not one of the greats. However, he is a brilliant film star. He is always watchable. He's fantastic in this film because he, he does have that old world weary kind of aura about him. Um, 
but he has some fun with the role, uh, which is great because, to be honest, Kevin Costner is very vanilla as Elliot Ness. Kevin Costner, pretty bland and boring, uh, as he is in a number of films, if we're honest. Uh, and in this film is, but this film is as brilliant as it is for mainly for two people. One of those is Sean Connery as Jim Malone. The other one is um, Robert De Niro as Al Capone, who we were talking about kind of method earlier. Robert De Niro insisted that he wore the same silk underwear that Al Capone did, even despite the fact that he never gets seen in his underwear in the entire film. Uh, he tracked down one of Al Capone's tailors that was still alive and got him to make his suits for the film uh that's just levels of almost kind of ocd or something like that but yeah um jim malone in the untouchables directed by brian de palmer he is my second favorite cop although i will concede again i didn't put john McClane on my list because i wanted to cheat and put extra cops on and at no point does jim malone say yippee-ki-yay motherfucker um, and then my number one, um, and I rewatched it again today just to check that I felt the way the same way about him. I do my number one. Um, has anyone heard of Captain Hank Quinlan? Silence. Um, he's played by Orson Welles in Orson Welles' film Touch of Evil from 1958. Um, briefly explain the film: a car bomb goes off on the Mexican-U.S. border. Um, Basically, it gets planted in Mexico, but explodes on the U.S. side, uh, killing U.S. citizens in the car. Now, Charlton Heston plays a Mexican in this, so there's something interesting already. Uh, he plays Vargas, a Mexican narcotics officer, on honeymoon with his U.S. wife, who's played by Janet Lee, and he ends up getting involved in the case. And the case is led by Orson Welles in his kind of really fat ear. He's about 330 pounds in this film. He's walking with Kane. He's old. He's unshaven. Um, but in the film, he is the police chief that everyone in the small town looks up to. They talk about him having intuition about how he's got a gammy leg that with some people it would tell them what the weather's going to be like, but his gammy leg tells him whether someone's guilty or not. Uh, he is racist. He is ignorant. He's nasty, but he is just so entertaining in, it, in every scene he's in. He's awesome. Well, so he just, the, everything, he just gravitates around him. Uh, he has his own gravitational pull in terms of charisma and everyone else looks just rubbish compared to him. And this, and it's a bit like in the third man. Um, in the third man, every once he's been in a scene in the third man, every scene that he's not in is like, oh, I wish Orson Welles was in this. Uh, and he's exactly the same. It's, it's fantastic. And what happens is, um, Vargas, played by Heston, discovers, um, Quinlan framing someone. And then it becomes a battle of wits played out between these two, uh, officers of the law based in different jurisdictions and stuff. Uh, and Quinlan just goes, sinks into becoming mad and really corrupt. And it does remind me a lot of um, LA Confidential. Um, and I think, and I haven't seen In the Heat of the Night, but I think there's a lot of elements of that. There's racial tension. This is set in a border town and things like that. Uh, there's a lot of the fact, there's a lot played with the fact that um, Heston's character is a Mexican um, 
and he could speak Spanish with a suspect and Quinlan hates that, tells them to speak English and things like that. It's a really, really claustrophobic film. And it's really interesting because it's now seen as a classic. Um, but at the time it was essentially a B movie. And, you know, those who don't know the term B movie comes from the fact that it was the second film played in a double bill. So this was the B movie. But it was really, interestingly, they signed on Orson Welles to play the cop. Um, and he said, yeah, I'm thinking about it. And then they approached Charlton Heston and said, we've got Orson Welles to do this. And Charlton Heston thought um, they meant they'd got him to direct. They'd only got him to act. And he said, well, you don't turn Orson Welles down. If it's, a Heston, if it's an Orson Welles film, I'm going to play it. So then the studio had to go back to Orson Welles and say, actually, would you like to direct it? But we're not going to pay you any more than we would do as an actor. And he went, yeah, all right, as long as I can rewrite it and everything. That's what he did. He completely rewrote it in uh, a week. Um, (laughs) Then he directed it. um, But then during the edit, it got taken out of his hands and another director came in and filmed some more scenes, um, which is a real, uh, it's really interesting because I read this DVD, uh, it's a double Blu-ray I've got of it. I got it this week. Um, Really interesting seeing what happened there. Uh, and it's Orson Welles' thoughts. He said, Orson Welles said that directing is easy. He said, you do about one minute a day of any talent in directing and that all the skill comes in editing your film afterwards. And he said he spent nine months editing Citizen Kane and he only ended up having full editorial control over three of his films. Um, and he said that actually directing's easy. It's how you edit together a film is where the magic happens and where the true genius shows and things like that. Really interesting. Um, but the version I watched today was a restored version uh, based on a 58-page memo that he wrote at the time, which after his death was found in Charlton Heston's possession and they put it all back together. Again, amazing uh, restoration prints as well. So if you, if you can find out Touch of Evil, it's a 1958 film. Absolutely brilliant film noir. Uh, quite a complex story, actually, for a film of that time as well. Brilliantly acted all round, but awesome Wells as a corrupt cop. But the thing is, he's not corrupt for money or anything like that. He's, he, he genuinely believes these people are guilty, and it's just he has to take a few shortcuts because he doesn't want to see guilty people out on the street. Really, really quite interesting in terms of morally ambivalent he's he's a nasty nasty piece of work though and that's my number one choice there we go uh that's oh before we finish actually did we get any suggestions anywhere yeah i did get one a late one in um today uh one of my lo- one of these was on my long list uh love child of met zelda a uh, long time listener uh, and genuinely, uh, usually always contributes a list to this. Uh, he said, uh, Tequila from Hard Boiled, played by Charion Fat, who is cool. And actually, in terms of all that action, one of the few cops who could, um, uh, hold a candle to John McClane there, in my opinion. Um, Captain Harris from Police Academy. I'll, I'll be honest, I made that job about Police Academy, but at one point I did consider picking just three police officers from Police Academy for my list. Uh, I, I think I went High Tower. Uh, the guy did the funny noises and Tackleberry. They were my three that I was going to go for. Um, although my Zed... other one was going to be Leslie Nielsen. Ah, from... uh, right. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? I didn't even think of that. Because this was such a broad subject, actually. 
I didn't even get around to thinking of Leslie Nielsen in the Naked Gun films. Um, and he also said Officer Michaels and Slater from Superbad and um, Chan Wang. Chan. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wing Yan, basically totally young in Infernal Affairs as well, which I, I believe is the Billy character. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, um, so, and... Um, Oh, and yeah, just under that, Steve said Axel Foley. So Steve was just chucking away his answers already early doors early today. <laughs> just, um, just teasing people. Oh, I like it. Just what, build up. Um, what's next week's triple bill? Um, oh, right. you, do you know what? I usually prepare. I honestly, genuinely usually prepare. I'm going to look at While you remember, I think um, someone mentioned Dirty Harry, which I think needed to be mentioned as well. I mentioned it too. Yes. <laughs> Some, someone else also mentioned Steve McQueen in Bullets, but I've not seen it, so I can't really comment. That's really good. Although Steve McQueen lost Van forum. Yeah, ah, oh, that's it. Steve McQueen goes around looking cool, which is good, but um, I don't think there's not a huge amount of depth to Bullet. It's a great car chase and a lot of cool '60s vibe, but apart from that, um, the other one I wanted to mention as well, but I'm not. I didn't. I purposefully chose not to talk about it because I thought it might be a bit full of spoilers. Was uh, the character from Reservoir Dogs, and I can't say which one because it's yeah. going to give away the. There's plot. a cop in it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also nearly had him on mine, and yeah. I didn't even think of it being a spoiler, but that's just me. I just assume everyone's watched it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Next week's is well, our main review next week is Lawless. Uh, so our main, our triple bill next week in honour of the Prohibition bootlegging, uh, moonshine making film is our favourite drinking scenes. Uh, our favourite scenes in which alcoholic beverages are partaken. Um, there you go. There's the rule. How the freak am I meant to think of specific things like that? Do your homework. That's not <laughs> your actual homework. <laughs> um, Drinking. Oh, God. Well, that's it from this week. Before we go, James, tell everyone where they can find stuff from yes. us. Yeah. Um, articles, everything on the blog. Um, at failedcritics.com you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritic and you can follow us on Twitter at at failedcritics lovely well uh, that's all for this week join us next week we'll be released on Wednesday with our review of Lawless um, thanks to Jerry, James, Owen and myself um, thanks to you for listening and thanks to Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com and Harold Faltermeyer for the music this week.
fantastic film. Fargo, I think, is, is their best film. Um, it's the best Golden Guns movie. And really, Frances McDormand makes that film. As good as everyone else in that film is, she is fantastic. And I don't remember her doing anything for bloody years after that, actually. What did she do after Fargo? She just sort of disappeared off the face of the earth. James might know. He's probably done more research than me if he's been yeah, um Yeah, I know she's been in a few other Coen Brothers films. I, you know, she was in. She was one of the main parts in Burn After Reading. Um, that was the first thing I saw her in for but yes. yeah, she she did a few. She did just a lot of kind of earnest indie type films. Nothing huge, which was odd because Fargo was such a breakout hit for a lot of people involved. That William H Macy suddenly had a load of roles. Steve Buscemi had always been around, but you know it it reflected well on him as well. And and I think the Coen Brothers got to make a few big budget films, which actually weren't very good. Um, but yeah, she never really, because she's married to one of the Cohen brothers, isn't she? I can never remember which one. Yeah. Um, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> she was but in yeah. Almost Famous, I, I seem to remember. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, she was. Um, oh. No, you're exactly right. Um, she's, it's unlike any other kind of hero cop in any film ever. Not, not only is she female, and usually the female cop in a cop story is a love interest, needs a bit of protecting or something like that. Um, but she's seven months pregnant at the same time. Um, and, and, and you, she's sort of grumpy and cantankerous and she... Yeah, but she's yeah. also kind of nice. And you think, actually, I, I, watching her, you're thinking, oh, I think she'd be a really good mum, actually. I, I quite like her to be my mum. She's really... You, she's sensible, but she puts together quite a complex case. Kind of almost, you know, she's... She's just like, well, she just uses experience as a police officer to put together a very complex, complex case. And you're with her the whole way. And it's, it's, and the accent does it for me as well. The, uh, the, the North Dakota accent. Beautiful. Uh, Fargo is such a lovely shot film. You're right. I, I'm still not sure. I, I'm still torn between Raising Arizona, uh, as well, but Fargo is definitely, uh, and, Big Lebowski, those three are absolute works of genius. And, uh, yeah, I'm, so, I'm glad someone else picked it, actually, because I was thinking, God, am I going to be the only one who's got a woman on their list? You know, we don't want to, we don't want to be that type of, we don't want to be top gear, basically. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, she's fantastic in it. Marge Gunderson. Yeah. No, great choice. Great choice, Jerry. She's, she's hilarious as well in that film. I don't think we, we made enough yeah. how funny she is in it as well. Yeah, she is. It's a very funny film, despite a lot of the dark elements to it. And she, she's brilliant. And uh, her and William H. Macy are the two kind of real pillars of that film. And they both carry that film so well. Yeah, I think her problem, though, was that she is so iconic in that role. That is a real sort of, particularly in terms of female protagonists and, mm. and female cops, as we say, it's, she was such an iconic role. I think she's really struggled to move past it because it was so her. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. seemed so much like her rather than an actress playing a role. It was so fantastic. Yeah. But I think her trouble is she's, she's ended up with um, being kind of remembered as, as the lady from Fargo and not being seen as much else. But, ah, oh God, I, I might walk, go and watch Fargo sometime this week. It's just <laughs> fantastic. 
that's Jerry's free. Let's move on to my free, so I'm getting a little bit worried that we're going to miss somebody out, and I don't like the thought of it at all. <laughs> um, I'm going to start off in reverse order. And I'm oh, start Steve, with... I should point out, before Steve makes his list, um, I made my list as three cops who aren't a certain character that Steve is about to name, because <laughs> I would have chosen him in three different films as my top three cops. Should have made that caveat at the start. So, sorry, Steve, go on. You can, you can have the fun of playing with him. Well, first, honourable mention to um, John Kimball, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger yes. in Kindergarten yeah. Cop. Just an honourable mention, though, narrowly missed out. The first in my list is a double act. It is DC Andy Cartwright and DS Andy Wainwright from Hot Fuzz, probably the funniest cop movie since the first Police Academy. <laughs> kind of damning with five phrases. <laughs> oh come on! There hasn't been many funny cop movies, has there, since the first no, Police I, Academy? No, no, I, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm questioning your saying that the first Police Academy is really funny. That actually, well, no, I'm just being harsh there. Oh, I loved it when I was younger. Sod it. Yeah, all right then. I'll let you have that, Steve. <laughs> well, anyway, mainly just because these two, because of a GIF that I've seen on many forums of just them two moving off screen and one of them puts their head back into the screen. I'm sure people know which one I mean when I'm talking about it. I don't know if I've seen that actually, no. I will send you a link to it when I can find it. But they're just, as a double act, they're brilliant, played by Paddy Constantine and um, Rafe Spall and just so many brilliant Uh, lines. Yeah, I know which which bit you're talking about. (laughs) But yeah, just so many brilliant lines throughout the whole film. And as a double act, it's just sort of really sarcastic and a bit arrogant and rude. Just work fantastically. Yeah, yeah, no, totally agree. Yeah, no, it's good. It, it's interesting. I, that wasn't. I was expecting you to go for someone else from Hot Fuzz. You know, like one of the main characters. So that's that's a really interesting shout, there, Steve. Unless you're about to go. For one no, of the other no, that's Fuzz, that's it from Hot Fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the line where they say everyone, everyone, their mum's packing round there. <laughs> like, like who? Farmers? And who else? Farmers' mums? <laughs> uh, before we get to number one, we've got to go to number two on my list. And number two on my list is Axel Foley from nice. Beverly Hills Cop, uh, when Eddie Murphy was Do still making good films. Steve. Go on, Steve. Do the theme tune. I might just play us out with the theme tune of Beverly Hills Cop this week. (laughs) (laughs) It's played by Eddie Murphy before he'd just done kids' films and generically rubbish kids' films as well, like Norbit, and playing about seven characters in every film. This is just Eddie Murphy at his his best. Like, funny, but doing some good acting as well. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's genuinely hilarious in Beverly Hills Cop. Sylvester Stallone was originally meant well. to play Axel Foley, so... What was that? Sylvester Stallone was originally meant to play Axel Foley. Oh, my God. Sylvester yeah. Stallone. And you couldn't imagine that now after seeing Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, my God. Although I kind of want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> he could not be as funny as Eddie Murphy was in it, or as I know, but just energetic and charismatic and... Did he improvise, like, the entire film, then, if they originally wanted Stallone <laughs> to do it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> But it's just a it's just a fun action film and he's brilliant in it. 
Why, yes. why can't he yeah. go back to making more films like that? Because he got old and fat and rich and... Oh, Sold out. Yeah. It's because people don't make films films ever, actually. If you think about it, I'm trying to think of a film that's funnier than it that's also a sort of action cop film. Um, possibly, uh, I, I think Lethal Weapon gives it a run for its money, but... Uh, yeah, but no, it's brilliant. Beverly Hills Cop. Again, um, Laura Diminishing Returns as it went on, but that first film was genuinely fantastic. And finally, number one in my list of movie cops. In the first two films, he's not even on duty when it happens to him. <laughs> Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. It's John <laughs> McClane of Die Hard fame. You can't have a list without him. Yeah, no, I also was, he was the first name on my list. And I, as soon as I knew Steve was going to have him, I thought, right, I'll cheat and make room for other cops. How can, how can you drop John McClane from best him. film cop? How can anyone I leave him say, out? How can, you, you would have had him in Die Hard, Die Hard 2, and then Die Hard with a Vengeance. He would have been all three. It's not fair. How could any, variety. how could anyone not even consider him Owen? Because there was yeah, at, Owen, at least yeah. three better cops. <laughs> there's, there's, there's none. There's no better film cop. He is, he is perfect. He's brilliant. He's got every single film you could, thing you could want from a film cop. And like I said, he's not even, he's not even. I will concede he is brilliant in it. And it's a good film. He's not even on duty in Die Hard 1 and Die Hard 2. <laughs> he's off duty. He's just trying to get home and see his kids for Christmas. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's a classic Christmas story. The first two films, yeah. just a man trying to get home to see his kids. He's he's brilliant with a gun. He kicks ass. He takes names. He delivers brilliant one-liners. He can take a beating. Yeah, that's it. There there is a vulnerable side to him as well, which is really important. The fact that you know by, by the end of Die Hard, he's he can barely walk. He's covered in blood. Um, yeah, no, uh, that is re- I think the vulnerability to him is key. Uh, and then you've got things like his divorce and stuff like that. He's a very vulnerable, troubled person. Again, it's, it's, it's very important. It's a simple plot to, you know, the first two Die Hard films at least, which we spoke about in the last podcast about Dread. You know, just keep it simple. There's some terrorists. They're trying to take over the place where John McClane is. And because he's a cop and he doesn't like these things happening, he goes and sorts it out. Simple. Yeah, yeah but he, you know, he's fun. And, and Bruce Willis is one of the best um, at that kind of character. He just that looks hard, though, doesn't he? But yeah, he might not be as. He, he might he's not got great comic time. But he might as not. Well, he might not really be as. Important. He might not be as built as someone like Arnie or Stallone. But he just looks hard. Mm. Yeah, but you, and again, you get that a bit more of that believability and a bit mm. more of that vulnerability. He isn't built like Arnie and uh, Stallone and Dolph and people like that. He does look like someone who could be a cop. Uh, it's like someone if he had a fight in a pub, he would take so much punishment that he would batter everyone. Yeah, didn't he's one of them? He just speak, looks hard. Speaking of his comic timing, didn't he start out in a sitcom? Yeah, Moonlighting. Which I've never yeah. seen any of, but um, re- it's really meta. Actually, Moonlighting's a it's it's really good. It's a really good, well written uh, thing. It's not like a kind of cheesy thing at all. They break the fourth wall and stuff like that. Very it, interesting. I think the only, um, 
comedy. I think the only thing I've seen of Moonlighting is a clip of a Christmas episode where every cliche from Christmas episodes of TV programs yeah, sort of happens to them. but that's what it was like a lot. Not as much as that, but it was like that a lot during the whole thing. It was very, very self-aware. Um, it was quite ahead of its time in a way. Um, really, really interesting. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, I love Bruce. I, I genuinely love Bruce. He, he can act as well as just being sort of an yeah. action hero. He can act pretty well as well, but he's in Die Hard, you know, Die Hard's one of those films that, you know, there's a certain amount of films that no matter how sort of good they are as a film, if it's on telly, you'll just watch it. Yeah. Die Hard's yeah. one of those films. Yeah. All the Die Hard's. If it's on and telly, again, I'll watch it. It goes back to that thing I was saying earlier about how some people are great actors and some people are great movie stars. And Bruce Willis is an absolutely brilliant movie star. Do you know who was offered this before he got it as well, by the way? I've heard it, but I've forgotten it. What well, it? What? it was originally, because um, it's set up sort of kind of a remake of a thing that Sinatra did in the 70s. Sinatra got offered it, even though he was 73. Oh, my because God. Because they <laughs> contractually had to offer it. Arnie said no. Then Sly said no. Then Burt Reynolds got offered the part. What? I said then, no. Yeah. Then Richard Gere got offered, went no. Then Harrison Ford... Right? You think, oh, oh, surely they're going to win that. No, then they gave Mel fucking Gibson an offer. <laughs> right? And then Bruce Willis got offered it. And you think how iconic he is as John McClane. Imagine just if any of the people did it. It would be awful. Apparently, it just goes to show how serendipity can work. Oh, it's fantastic. I didn't realise as well that Die Hard 1 and 2 were both based on novels. Mm. Yeah. Um, I I did that when we did our triple bill of film adaptations. I found that out then and thought, I can't add that to my list because I've not read the original. Um, but yeah, that that, that is interesting. Uh, I might have to get around to reading them at some point. So yeah, it was originally. Um, although I'll just end up just watching Die instead. Clearly. Do you know this was originally Commando? To, well, it was going to be Commando Two. Oh. That's fine. That's why McTiernan directed it, because he was going to make okay. a sequel to Commando. That's why Arnie got off of it, and McTiernan was doing it. And Die Arnie turned it down, then McTiernan read this book and went, that will make that, that sounds better. And Die Hard 3 was meant to be Lethal Weapon 4. Was it? Yeah. yeah. This is blowing my mind today. Yeah. Just... Yep. <laughs> well, Owen, as your mind is blown and you think you can name three better movie cops than John McClane, go for it. And, and, tell you, and we'll all tell you where you're wrong. Uh, okay, I'll try. Um, the first one's probably not in the same kind of vein as uh, McLean, but it's um, a bit more serious. Sidney Poitier in um, in the Heat of the Night as Virgil Tibbs, Wrong. or um, Mister Tibbs as he likes to be called. Uh, it's, basically, if you've not seen In the Heat of the Night, Mister Tibbs is um, detective. He works for the Philadelphia Police Department. He's stuck in Mississippi and he's picked up by the local police who are a little bit racist um, and they accuse him of murdering a wealthy local guy just because he's black, because he's African-American. That means he's automatically guilty. So they arrest him and then it's, you know, kind of comes out that he's actually a policeman and he works for the homicide department and he's, you know, brilliant at his job. So he ends up being involved in trying to solve the case. But it's absolutely... Brilliant performance from Poitier. He's excellent in this film. And he gives a really sort of stern performance with the actually having to do a lot. Um, you know, he can seemingly get away with doing things and 
performance-wise, you know, he's, he, he says a lot without having to open his mouth, kind of thing. You know what I mean? His expressions, and uh, particularly there's a scene quite early on in the film where he's sitting in his cell and he's just kind of staring, but there's this other guy in there who's talking to him. And it's just such a tense scene, and he is so intense himself that when he just kind of clicks his fingers, it, it makes you jump. It makes the character jump on screen, but you kind of, whoa, what was that? That's You know, it's very, very brilliant performance from him. But the character himself is great. And I mean, kind of as you'd expect from the premise of the film, the level of the racism in the film is it's quite uncomfortable to watch. Um, mm. not, not because it's particularly violent, because, it, you know, it's not, it's not that kind of film. But because of the kind of brashness of it, and it's, you know, obviously the point is to help you sympathise or empathise with um, Poitier's character. And you admire the way that he deals with it, with this kind of dignity and his class. And it's it just it makes the character endearing, and you 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 just really kind of you, you want him to not be caught up in this. You want him to to do really what he's there to do and uh, solve the crime and stuff. And it just helps that you know Mr. Tibbs is actually a really good detective who's a stubborn character and really quite cool. He always wants to do the right thing, but he wants to do it the right way. Um, he doesn't want to be in this situation. Um, with the white police who are a little bit racist, the locals who are also quite racist to, towards him. He just wants to get on with it and do the job because that's, at the heart of it, it's, it's, it's justice for, for someone who's been murdered. And he, he is a really good detective. And it, it's, you know, it's a good thriller, a good mystery story, which tackle, tackles quite a sore topic, but it's probably, I can't help feeling that it's as good as it is because of Mr. Tibbs and because of Sidney Poitier playing Mr. Tibbs. Um, it's just a fantastic performance and it, it's just a very cool character. I, I don't know what you guys think, but I think he's one of my favourite detectives and one of my favourite cops in films. I've not seen him. I've not seen this film, but I can tell you he's not as good as McLean. <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. he walk around barefoot at any point? Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Through glass. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very different kind of film. Um, I think it was actually turned into a kind of franchise film as well. So he, I don't know what happened later on. I've only seen In the Heat of the Night, but that's a very good film. I definitely recommend it because it's just a, it's a serious film, but it's also a very, um, it's just really good drama to it. Um, I can't really recommend it enough. It's just great. And the, the whole sort of aura around it is, is fantastic. Okay, so maybe my second choice can um, help change your mind. So I have actually picked some good good cops then. Okay, my second choice is uh, someone who I can't believe hasn't been mentioned already. Uh, it's Robocop. Is it, is, is, we is were it, talking about 80s films um, yeah. earlier. Who, it, could, who could we leave out Robocop? It's, it's a good choice, but it's not John McClane. You're still wrong. Still wrong. Oh, okay. But Robocop, I think, is, is brilliant. Not because, not necessarily because he's a robot who has a big gun and shoots bad guys and stuff. He kind of, it's the whole film and what Robocop himself represents that is, that is brilliant. Um, you know, he's, he basically is the embodiment of the 80s. He satirizes the 80s and this commercialism and this soullessness. Um, you know, by being a robot himself. But at the same time, it's also, 
you know, whilst taking the, the mickey out of the excesses of the 80s and stuff, it, it, it kind of encapsulates all that and is a really good 80s action film, a really good sci-fi film that could only have been made in the 80s. So I'm a, I'm a little bit confused about what they're going to do with this planned remake they've got going. But, um, you know, it kind of it pokes fun at everything that it's it's involved with whilst also being really clever. You know, it, mm. it, it might not be um, a subtle satire. Uh, of its time and its place, but it, it, that, it, it's, it's definitely a satire of the 80s. And yeah. part of that is part, partly because of Robocop, the character. You know, he's, as I say, he's soulless, but he's actually a redeemed character. He's gone through this, you know, he's a very honest person, but he's gone through this terrible ordeal and come out of it the other, se- other side as, you know, famous in a way, but at the same time, he, he, you know, he's, he's lost his humanity, and through the course of the film, although he's, you know, very violently at times kind of dismantled or attacked and stuff, he comes through the film to be. He gains some humanity through it all, and he shows that you know, you might be able to sort of take the the humanity out of somebody, but the it will always come back, and it's it's what he's about, and. But at the same time, it's a great action film. It's just this, these fantastic scenes in it. I think everyone's got a memory that from a Robocop film, any in the series or whether you watch the shitty TV series that was, that was made. <laughs> you've got a memory of it. Some people, it's, you know, the rocket launcher bit. Uh, some people say it's, you know, when he's actually dismantled, you know, even in Robocop 3, whether you like it or not, it's probably the one that most people remember, which is when he puts on the jetpack and flies. That's, um, <laughs> bit yeah. of a controversial bit for most Robocop fans but it's a very smart film it's very funny it's very emotional he's a very good character um, and yeah Robocop is my second choice and I, like I say I can't believe he's not been mentioned yet already I'm surprised nobody sh- I'm disappointed rather than surprised no one shouted crossover then I thought we can't have a film a uh, cop film triple bill and leave out Robocop he was no. on my list it's a yeah. good choice there's still no John McClane, eh? Well, no, it's not. I, he's, he's, he's fine to sit on a list with John McClane. I just can't believe you've got three that push John McClane into a, at least fourth place. How how many? How long would the list have to be for you to have picked John McClane? It was probably uh, when I was trying to draw up a short list. It was about sort of sixth or seventh. Oh my Jesus. god, he first. <laughs> He doesn't like Star Wars. You don't like Star Wars and you don't like John McClane. I, I do oh, like John McClane. He doesn't, was doesn't sound seven. like it. <laughs> well, uh, I've given... My final choice isn't Jackie Chan. I've given him a break this week because he's played about sort of seven yeah. where he's a cop. Um, but I've gone for a film which I've done a little bit of research specifically for this podcast. Oh. Where it's... Um, so yeah, my final choice is from uh, uh, Martin Scorsese film, which is a remake of the Hong Kong cop movie Internal Affairs, which is the film that I watched for the first time. Infernal Affairs. I I used to call it Internal Affairs for right. ages, but then I I, I realised it was called Infernal Affairs, and I didn't know if that was a slip of the tongue or if you'd done the same thing as me. Done the same thing as you. Yeah, because yeah. there's a Richard Gere film called Internal Affairs, which is pretty ropey. <laughs> but yeah, the Hong Kong one is Infernal Affairs, Infernal. which is weird. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's about the Internal Affairs Department, isn't it? Oh uh, no, exactly. <laughs> okay, but anyway, um, but I watched that for the first time on uh, when did I watch? Friday evening, 
this preparation for this because my favourite cop is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was Billy Constigan Jr. in The Departed. Um, but I'd never seen Infernal Affairs before, which is um, so I wanted to just watch that and see if I could compare them and perhaps you know might have influenced my opinion or changed my mind or maybe think well actually maybe that character's not as as well-rounded as I remember. This one's better. But no, actually, you know, without going too much into the ins and outs of the plot of the film, because it's quite intricate and involved and, and quite complex at times, Billy's basically an undercover cop, so he's not really the kind of out-on-the-beat. Um, you never see him in uniform or anything like that, because before graduating from the training academy in Boston, he's picked up by uh, Martin Sheen, who's the police captain, and Mark Wahlberg, who is a sergeant, I think, and he's asked to be um, this undercover cop and infiltrate Jack Nicholson's gang because he's got family ties to to organise crimes. And he stars in the film opposite Matt Damon, who's a member of Jack Nicholson's gang, but has trained to become a policeman. He's now head of the Internal Affairs Department. So it's quite a you know involved plot. I'm not going to go too much into that. But what happens um, is you get this incredibly riveting story, uh, and it delves really deep into this character's psychology. You know, it's such a well thought just highly detailed character um billy uh, and i think that's partly because of dicaprio's um performance he just brings this presence to the character i think it's helped a lot by having scorsese's direction um you know it's preparation for part of billy's um uh, building up his like credibility to get into the gang he has to spend some time serving in a prison on this like fake assault charge but that whole section of the film, it, the way it's set out is just utterly fantastic. And I think it's probably where I realised that actually I really, I did care about this character. He's someone who I wanted to watch the film just to see what would happen with him. Uh, you know, the, the, I think that, that scene in the prison, um, and that scene in the bar, which I, I'm not going to spoil for anyone, but they're the, they're the two things that really kind of grip me with this character. And I think the bit in the prison, the way the camera kind of swoops across the cells and you just see Billy in there and he's working out and it's really sort of in, like, um, quite a, and it's really intense. And, um, I just thought it was, it was amazing. I, I absolutely loved it. And I think the way that it kind of differs, differs to, um, Infernal Affairs, uh, and why I actually prefer The Departed is Ooh. because, uh, I know a bit controversial, I guess, but, I think it's the way that Billy is developed. You know, in, in Infernal Affairs, the character is really strong as well. He is, you know, it's the same kind of thing, but it's played very differently, I think. And it's it's a different kind of strength that that, that they both bring to the film. I think part of the appeal in uh, Infernal Affairs is you instantly know and like this guy. You know, you immediately get what he's about, and it, it helps to alter the film. It's carried by a really solid performance. But in The Departed, I think it just spends a little bit more time making you like and understand him. And uh, so I think there's there's more to him to like in The Departed. Um, and as I say, DiCaprio just brings this presence to Billy and it's, you know, all of this background and this high level of detail, you know, it kind of moves him almost off the screen and into your consciousness. There's this, this real person. You can really believe that this guy is going through something like this. Um, so that's why he is, is definitely my favourite cop on film. You know about the Infernal Affairs versus Departed debate? Um, I saw Departed first. I mean, I'm not going to try and claim that's some kind of 
you know, excellent film buff I'd seen in Final Affairs and all. But when you watch Infernal Affairs and then you watch The Departed again, did you not find that it just seems like a dumbed-down version of it? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much that is sort of left for you to interpret and sort of read between the lines in Infernal Affairs and Scorsese really just spelled it out like that fucking rat at the end. Oh. <laughs> you were a fan of the rat. I mean, I really like The Departed. Don't get me wrong, I think it's a good film. But when you compare it to the original, it's like the original film, but for people who are a bit thick and can't work out what's going on. Oh, cheers. <laughs> no, no, I don't agree. <laughs> no, I mean, way, the way he's made it, I'm not saying... I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought for, as a sort of police procedural one, it was quite clever and the twists were good. But I think, you know, moving away from the storyline, I think the way he presents the narrative is just a little bit more dumbed down than the original, that's all. I think there are two, two different ways of, of looking at The Departed. I think you can look at it as a way that it's really everything is spelled out for you. You you can't really leave much to your imagination. Anything that happens in in the story, you you are shown. But the other way to look at it, I think, is it's it's just packed with all this detail. You are shown absolutely everything because there is so much to show, and part of that is involved with Billy's character. You know, in Infernal Affairs, like I say, it, it's more about you instantly get the character and you and you care about him. And in in, in The Departed, it's more about trying to build so many layers to him. Um, I think it's... It, 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 they're both clever in very different ways, though. I, but I do take your point. I just think that The Departed overall is better. I think the cinematography is a lot better in The Departed as well. well your opinion on that is. But some of the, yeah. the, the swooping shots and stuff, I just thought they were, they were brilliant in The Departed. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's probably better filmed. I, I, I think you, you're definitely right there when, when you look at the way that it's filmed as, as a... As a sort of step up in class, shall we say. But yeah. yeah Scorsese is so experienced, he's so good. I think you, you kind of expect that. It just, it was a bit tragic. It's like, they were like, oh, Americans couldn't watch this without needing to know why that happened and needing a bit of an explanation here. It's a bit like the, the voiceover on Blade Runner. Do you know what I mean? It's just, uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't feel that way until I'd seen the original though and I saw the part first, obviously. So, I mean, it stands up on its own, but it was just after seeing it, I was just really like, oh, actually... Maybe not. Maybe not as good as I thought. <laughs> no, no, I definitely, um, definitely. Like, I mean, they're both brilliant films. I mean, you could mark them both kind of nine out of ten films, kind of thing. But I don't know. It's just something there with The Departed. I just, I just got into it a lot more. But it's still not John McClane. No, three reasonable films uh, for Owen. Three reasonable picks, not John McClane. No, but. Never mind, no one's perfect, he doesn't like Star Wars either. Um, <laughs> Just get that in again. Yeah. Make sure everyone knows. So James, before you give us your list to round off this triple bill, um, it's a bit of a shame that the Sweeney's not out and we can't pick Plan B. I know, yeah. Um, or, even or Ben Drews, as we Mondo. should call yeah. <laughs> Kick Winston, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a real shame. Mm. Um, I'm sure they'd be right up there. I think they would be. Dog and Bone. Yeah. Oh, God, that has we already As an honourable mention, I think, on all our lists. Just because <laughs> yes. I'm expecting such a high standard from both of them. Mm. <laughs> I don't think the trailer for the Sweeney looks too bad. Yeah, but the film will be. It could be the case, yeah. The trailer, trailer looked okay. better than I expected it to, but yeah, I'm still pretty convinced the film's The trailer's still shocking. bad, isn't it? They still look bad. It didn't look as bad as I was <laughs> expecting, but it still looked bad. Yeah, I was expecting something worse than, I don't know, Dark Shadows, but, uh, 
the original film was on the other day, so I've recorded that. So I am oh. going to watch that and then see if I can get to see the remake. The original TV series, is, oh, I enjoyed it, but it is very much of its time, mm. whereas this is like, no, oh, no, it's going to be so <laughs> alpha male and horrible. Yeah. Ugh. yeah, so do you want my list now? Yes, I suppose we'd best do. Oh, thanks. That's all right. Um, yes. Make so a guess. One. One, uh, yeah, one of them um, is uh, uh, Marge Gunderson from Fargo. So that we've, we've done and dusted there. I'm going to be quite quick here. Um, so, yeah, number three, Marge Gunderson. Number two, uh, now this uh, character and this actor portraying this character won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in 1987. You won't be surprised at that. I actually was. Gene Hackman was rumoured or considered for this role. Uh, but the role eventually went to Sean Connery, who plays Jim Malone in The Untouchables from 1987. Um, the Untouchables, the dramatised story, although based on Elliot Ness's memoirs of a small elite squad who took on Al Capone during Prohibition. And um, Jim Malone is Irish-American, so obviously has a Scottish accent. Um <laughs> He is the incorruptible Irish-American. He's a veteran cop, and he tells Elliot Ness that he needs to recruit from the academy because the police force is rife with Capone's men. Uh, so he gets Andy Garcia and some guy who's an accountant, and the four of them take down Al Capone. Uh, it spawned great lines. Uh, they pull a knife, you pull a gun, they send one of yours to the hospital, you send one of theirs to the morgue, that's the Chicago way. That's, yes. I think that's <laughs> called escalation, though, actually, Sean, and uh, that's why police on our streets don't tend to carry guns, but never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, but again, and this was what I've been talking about, about film star versus great actor. Um, Sean Connery is not a great actor. He, he can act, but he is not one of the greats. However, he is a brilliant film star. He is always watchable. He's fantastic in this film because he, he does have that old world weary kind of aura about him. Um, but he has some fun with the role, uh, which is great because to be honest, Kevin Costner is very vanilla as Elliot Ness. Kevin Costner, pretty bland and boring, uh, as he is in a number of films, if we're honest. Uh, and in this film is, but this film is as brilliant as it is for, mainly for two people. One of those is Sean Connery's Jim Malone. The other one is, um, Robert De Niro as Al Capone, who we were talking about kind of method earlier. Robert De Niro insisted that he wore the same silk underwear that Al Capone did, even despite the fact that he never gets seen in his underwear in the entire film. Uh, he tracked down one of Al Capone's Taylors that was still alive and got him to make his suits for the film. Uh, that's just levels of almost kind of OCD or something like that. But yeah, um, Jim Malone in The Untouchables, directed by Brian De Palma. He is my second favourite cop. Although I will concede again, I didn't put John McClane on my list because I wanted to cheat and put extra cops on. And at no point does Jim Malone say yippee ki motherfucker. Um, and then my number one, um, and I rewatched it again today just to check that I felt the way, the same way about him. I do my number one. Um, has anyone heard of Captain Hank Quinlan? Silence. Um, he's played by Orson Welles 
in Orson Welles' film Touch of Evil from 1958. Um, briefly explain the film. A car bomb goes off on the Mexican-US border. Um, basically, it gets planted in Mexico, but explodes on the US side, uh, killing US citizens in the car. Now, Charlton Heston plays a Mexican in this, so there's something interesting already. Uh, he plays Vargas, a Mexican narcotics officer, on honeymoon with his US wife, who's played by Janet Leigh, and he ends up getting involved in the case. And the case is led by Orson Welles in his kind of really fat ear. He's about £330 in this film. He's walking with Kane. He's old. He's unshaven. Um, but in the film, he is the police chief that everyone in the small town looks up to. They talk about him having intuition about how he's got a gammy leg that with some people it would tell them what the weather's going to be like, but his gammy leg tells him whether someone's guilty or not. Uh, he is racist. He is ignorant. He's nasty, but he is just so entertaining. And in, in every scene he's in, he's awesome. Well, so he just, the, everything, he just gravitates around him. Uh, he has his own gravitational pull in terms of charisma and everyone else looks just rubbish compared to him. And this, and it's a bit like in the third man. Um, in the third man, every once he's been in a scene in the third man, every scene that he's not in is like, oh, I wish Orson Welles was in this. Uh, and he's exactly the same. It's, it's fantastic. And what happens is, um, Vargas, played by Heston, discovers, um, Quinlan framing someone. And then it becomes a battle of wits played out between these two, uh, officers of the law based in different jurisdictions and stuff. Uh, and Quinlan just goes, sinks into becoming mad and really corrupt. And it does remind me a lot of um, LA Confidential. Um, and I think, and I haven't seen In the Heat of the Night, but I think there's a lot of elements of that. There's racial tension. This is set in a border town and things like that. Uh, there's a lot of the fact, there's a lot played with the fact that um, Heston's character is a Mexican um and he could speak Spanish with a suspect, and Quinlan hates that, tells them to speak English and things like that. It's a really, really claustrophobic film. And it's really interesting because it's now seen as a classic. Um, but at the time, it was essentially a B-movie, and you know, those who don't know the term B-movie comes from the fact that it was the second film played in a double bill, so this was the B-movie. But it was really, interestingly, they signed on Orson Welles to play the cop, um, and he said, yeah, I'm thinking about it. And then they approached Charlton Heston and said, we've got Orson Welles to do this. And Charlton Heston thought um, they meant they'd got him to direct. They'd only got him to act. And he said, well, you don't turn Orson Welles down. If it's, a Heston, if it's an Orson Welles film, I'm going to play it. So then the studio had to go back to Orson Welles and say, actually, would you like to direct it? But we're not going to pay you any more than we would do as an actor. And he went, yeah, all right, as long as I can rewrite it and everything. That's what he did. He completely rewrote it in uh, a week. Um, <laughs> then he directed it. Um, but then during the edit, it got taken out of his hands and another director came in and filmed some more scenes, um, which is a real, uh, it's really interesting because I read this DVD, uh, it's a double Blu-ray I've got of it. I got it this week. Um, really interesting seeing what happened there. Uh, and it's Orson Welles' thoughts. He said, Orson Welles said that directing is easy. He said, you do about one minute a day of any talent in directing and that all the skill comes in editing your film afterwards. 
He said he spent nine months editing Citizen Kane and he only ended up having full editorial control over three of his films. Um, and he said that actually directing's easy. It's how you edit together a film is where the magic happens and where the true genius shows and things like that. Really interesting. Um, but the version I watched today was a restored version uh, based on a 58-page memo that he wrote at the time, which after his death was found in Charlton Heston's possession and they put it all back together. Again, amazing uh, restoration prints as well. So if you, if you can find out Touch of Evil, it's a 1958 film, absolutely brilliant film noir, uh, quite a complex story actually for a film of that time as well. Brilliantly acted all round, but awesome Wells as a corrupt cop. But the thing is, he's not corrupt for money or anything like that. He's, he, he genuinely believes these people are guilty and it's just he has to take a few shortcuts because he doesn't want to see guilty people out on the street. Really, really quite interesting in terms of morally ambivalent. He's, he's a nasty, nasty piece of work, though, and that's my number one choice. There we go. Uh, that's, oh, before we finish, actually, did we get any suggestions anywhere? Yeah, I did get one a late one in. Um, today, uh, one of my, lo- one of these was on my long list, uh, Love Child of Met Zelda, uh, long time listener, uh, and genuinely, uh, usually always contributes a list to this. Uh, he said, uh, Tequila from Hard Boiled, played by Charion Fat, who is cool, and actually in terms of all that action, one of the few cops who could, um, uh, hold a candle to John McClane there, in my opinion. Um, Captain Harris from Police Academy. I'll, I'll be honest, I made that job about Police Academy, but at one point I did consider picking just three police officers from Police Academy for my list. Uh, I, I think I went High Tower, uh, the guy did the funny noises, and Tackleberry. They were my three that I was going to go for. Um, although my Zed, other one was going to be Leslie Nielsen. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? I didn't even think of that. Because this was such a broad subject, actually. I didn't even get around to thinking of Leslie Nielsen in the Naked Gun films. Um, and he also said Officer Michaels and Slater from Superbad and um, Chan Wang, Chan Wing Yan, basically totally young in Infernal Affairs as well, which I, I believe is the Billy character. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, um, so, and, um, oh, and, yeah, just under that, Steve said Axel Foley, so Steve was just chucking away his answers already early doors <laughs> earlier today. Just, um, just teasing people. Oh, I like it. Just what, build up. Um, what's next week's triple bill? Um, oh, right. you, do you know what? I usually prepare. I honestly, genuinely usually prepare. I'm have to look at While that. you remember, I think um, someone mentioned Dirty Harry, which I think needed to be mentioned as well. I mentioned it too. Yes. <coughs> Some, yeah. Someone else also mentioned Steve McQueen in Bullets, but I've not seen it, so I can't really comment. That's really good. Although it, Steve McQueen was on the forum. Yeah, uh, that's it. Steve McQueen goes around looking cool, which is good, but um, I don't think there's not a huge amount of depth to Bullet. It's a great car chase and a lot of cool 60s vibe, but apart from that... Um, the other one I wanted to mention as well, but I'm not, I, didn't, I purposefully chose not to talk about it because I thought it might be a bit full of spoilers, was uh, the character from Reservoir Dogs, and I can't say which one because he's going to give away the There's plot. a cop in it, yeah. yeah. Um, I also nearly had him on mine, and yeah. I didn't even think of it being a spoiler, but that's just me. I just assume everyone's watched it. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, next week's is, well, our main review next week is Lawless. Uh, so our main, our triple bill next week in honour of the prohibition bootlegging 
uh, moonshine making film is our favourite drinking scenes. Uh, our favourite scenes in which alcoholic beverages are partaken. Um, there you go. There's the rule. How the freak am I meant to think of specific things like that? Do your homework. That's not <laughs> your actual homework. <laughs> um, Drinking. Oh, God. Well, that's it from this week. Before we go, James, tell everyone where they can find stuff from yes. us. Yeah, um, articles, everything on the blog um, at failedcritics.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritic. And you can follow us on Twitter at, at failedcritics. Lovely. Well, uh, that's all for this week. Join us next week. We'll be released on Wednesday of our review of Lawless. Um, thanks to Jerry, James, Owen and myself. Um, thanks to you for listening and thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and Harold Faltermeyer for the music this week. <laughs> um.